0: Let's read our passage, Acts 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Peter and John returned to their community to tell them all about what has happened, to share about being arrested and that the council has instructed them to cease preaching in the name of Jesus. But as a response the community unanimously prays to God. The majority of our passage is a recording of this prayer. And at the end, it results in them experiencing a tangible response of God, and being emboldened to continue thinking of Jesus' death and resurrection, of him being the Messiah, that it is by Jesus' divinity they are witnessing healings and miracles. They will not be silent, for they have been filled with a holy boldness. As we have been working through the book of Acts, a repeated theme has been appearing in our sermons and practices here at Garden City. And that theme is prayer. The many facets of worship as prayer, a church's role in prayer, and what relationship with God is in the practice of prayer. It feels our church is seeking to both understand and to practice engaging and authentic prayer, connecting to the centuries of tradition that come before us while learning to embody this practice. And by embody, I do not mean praying out of trite repetition because we feel we have to. I don't mean performing prayers that are hollow, vain, or meaningless. I mean living out a life of prayerful practices that are authentic, earnest, seeking God and God's will, like a dialogue with those whom we trust with the depths of our heart. But this person is not just a friend, they are God, who is someone that we can look to for direction, strength, courage, comfort, peace, and hope. At the beginning of February, before we started this series on Acts, Pastor Dennis preached about two of the purposes of prayer. He instructed us that prayer is not about getting what we want, using prayer as a vending machine to dispense whatever we seek. Instead, prayer is to deepen our relationship with God and to build our practices of kingdom-minded obedience which we know are loving God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our mind, and loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. These are some of the purposes of prayer. And we see that same use of prayer repeated in our passage, to know God, to love God, and to love others. So today we'll focus our time on what we can learn from this passage, about how prayer deepens our relationship with God and helps us live out the kingdom of heaven as it is on earth. I'm going to pick out four different aspects of this prayer that we can apply to our individual and communal prayer life. These four lessons help us understand some of the different components of authentic and embodied prayers. The first notable aspect of this prayer is found in verse 24. It says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. The author Luke records that the believers, quote, lifted their voices together or were unanimous in their prayer. The original Greek translates this phrase as with one accord. Now, this doesn't mean they were necessarily speaking these words aloud together. This was not a pre-written prayer that they recited in unison like we do with the Our Father prayer. Instead, the unanimity is in regards to their spirit, their hearts, and motivation. In the face of opposition and persecution, the community of believers agreed their first step was to turn to God in prayer. They were united in their response. This is no small feat, right? Can you imagine a group of more than two people all agreeing on how to respond to an authority figure telling them to be silent? I'm sure some of us would respond to being silenced in different ways. Maybe some would want to immediately go to the nearest street corner and begin preaching. And yet others would maybe suggest the community needs to obey and stay quiet. Some could propose moving towns as a community. Let's go somewhere they don't know about us. Or there could have been suggestions to stage a defiant protest at the site of the council. But none of this happened. Instead, everyone agreed to first seek God in prayer. What a radical but simple response. They chose to talk to God, to invoke the divine and align themselves with God's will. We know a life of prayer is necessary. Scripture repeatedly emphasizes the necessity of consistent and daily prayer as individuals and as a community. In just a few chapters earlier, we see the description of this particular community, and it says in Acts 2, verses 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers likewise we are instructed in ephesians 6:18 pray in the spirit at all times in every prayer and supplication and again in 1st thessalonians chapter 5 verses 16 through 19 rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. And in the Old Testament, recorded in First Chronicles chapter 16, verse 11, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. And let's not forget the example of prayer found in our Savior, Jesus Christ. As described in a commentary that focuses on mission work and acts, The editors write this. Prayer surrounds every important event in Jesus' ministry. Prayer is the means whereby God directs Jesus' mission of salvation to a yearning humanity. It is the way Jesus apprehends the dynamic power of the Spirit for salvation history. The Messiah's redemptive work flowed from his relationship with God in prayer, not from his many deeds. Thus, Luke records in the book of Acts that the early church's pattern of prayer, spirit, and mission. Thus, mission flows from beingness rather than doingness. But secular Western culture teaches us that only by hard work can anything be accomplished. I love that middle part of the quote. Prayer is the means whereby God directs Jesus' mission of salvation to a yearning humanity. It is the way Jesus apprehends the dynamic power of the Spirit for salvation history. The Messiah's redemptive work flowed from his relationship with God in prayer, not from his many deeds. This lifestyle of prayer means we consistently pray throughout our day. Prayers of thanks, prayers of praise, prayers of request, Prayers that declare the truths of scripture and prayers that reveal the heart of God to us. Prayers that help us find our center again. This can be done with words, with song, and with silence. As the focus is connecting to God. We do this so that mission flows from our being, so that it is as natural to us as breathing. This is our first lesson from the scripture that we seek God in prayer continually as individuals and a community, but especially as our first step when facing challenges. The second lesson of this passage is about the reminder and recognition of the sovereignty of God, starting in verse 24 and through verse 28. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Did you catch that? Look again at the beginning and end of that section. It starts with Sovereign Lord, and it ends with to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In the opening section of this prayer, they are proclaiming the sovereignty of God not just in that God created everything within the universe, but also that the life and death of Jesus was planned and predestined. That despite Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles, and the Israelites all trying to thwart God's plan, God's sovereignty prevailed anyways. Some would argue God used the evil plans of Herod, of Pontius Pilate, of all those who condemned Jesus. So that God's plan would be accomplished. This verse implies that those who gathered in opposition to God were actually working in accordance with God's will. We may be tempted to be passive because of that and say, well, the sovereignty of God will prevail. It doesn't matter what we do. God will work through it. But church, this doesn't mean we are not responsible for our actions. No, Jesus makes it clear We are still called to live in accordance with God's will, in the character of our Lord, praying and intervening as Christ would. For Jesus reminds us of the two greatest commandments in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Did you hear that? The purpose of the law, the message of the prophets, the summary of the commandments is to love God and love others. Not just to sit back and assume that God and God's sovereignty will control everything. Love is an action. That means we participate alongside God's sovereignty as we see God works through all people in the midst of both good and evil. So when we pray, may we always recall the sovereignty of the Lord for God created and ordained everything according to God's purpose. When you remember the sovereignty of God, you can have hope and courage. This means we can put into perspective the work of the kingdom in our life, and choose God without compromise. And God's sovereignty can both comfort and guide us as we participate within it. So far, we have learned that authentic and embodied prayer involves a constant life of prayer, it unites us as individuals in a community, and that we can trust in and work alongside God's sovereignty. The third lesson we can learn from this prayer is that they pray for their enemies. You might have noticed they're initially quoting a different scripture. It's the part where they ask God why the people rage and set themselves against God and God's anointed. The disciples are quoting Psalm 2, but then they reinterpret the words into their context, noting that this was a prophecy of the coming Messiah that's been fulfilled. They also use this scripture to show the parallels between the original context of that psalm and their current situation, hence the repetition about rulers and peoples setting themselves against God and God's anointed. However, theologians note that they do something unique to this quote, where Psalm 2 continues on to describe an angry God, full of wrath and power proclaiming destruction to God's enemies. The community of believers in Acts 2, they don't cite that part. Instead, they substitute in a prayer for their enemies. They don't condemn their enemies or ask God to strike them down. They very briefly mention their persecution by asking God to look upon their threats. A very simple, hey, Can you take notice of uh, what we're experiencing here? It seems they have taken to heart Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which is found both in Matthew and Luke. In this sermon, Jesus reminds us to love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you'll be of the most high because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. That's specifically found in Luke 6 verses 27 through 36. How our nation needs this message. Our communities are full of violence, suspicion retaliation, and hate, but how I also need this message. It goes against everything in our humanity to remember the dignity and worth of our enemies, to recognize that they too bear the image of God and are loved by God. When you have been hurt, abused, bullied, discarded, threatened, looked down upon, oppressed, and persecuted how easy it is to wish them ill at our worst and feel justified by their own suffering at our best. But then we're no different to the unbeliever. And we are no longer loving our neighbor as ourselves, no longer giving mercy to our enemies. So as hard as it is, church, we are called to pray for our enemies and to love everyone. This is the third lesson. The fourth aspect of this prayer is that they ask to be molded to God's will. Rather than perseverate over their problem, ruminating about being told to be silent, they ask to continue in God's will and for God's will to be performed through them. They say, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They don't want this experience with the Sanhedrin Council to keep them from witnessing. They still want God's miracles, healings, and his name to spread with boldness. Rather than asking God to make it easier for them, they ask to become more bold and for them to continue to work within God's will. They are not preoccupied with their struggles, their fears, their persecution, but instead are insistent on keeping their focus on the will of God. They request from God boldness and signs. These are actions that are useful to God's kingdom plans. They are not asking for riches or creature comforts, but for what they need to continue advancing the kingdom of God. It is a humbling of their own humanity so that they can be in service to the will of God. Now, church, I'm not saying we never ask for God for what we want or think we need. I'm just saying we try to shift the focus of our prayers to receiving from God what we need to live out God's will. Because I know I'm guilty that the majority of the content of my prayers being more about what I think I want and need rather than what it is I can receive from God for the use of his kingdom. It's time to rebalance the scales and consider God's will more often than what I think is best. And I suspect the same is probably true for quite a few of you, too. So as we conclude, what have we learned about prayer from this passage? The four points are, one, it is a necessary practice as individuals and as a community, so that we can embody the two greatest commandments. Lesson two, it provides an opportunity to remind us of the sovereignty of God and that we participate alongside God's sovereignty. The third lesson, we are called to pray for our enemies, to show them mercy and love. And lastly, with number four, we are to ask to be molded to God's will And seek what we need from him to advance the kingdom of God. These are four different aspects of prayer that we can begin incorporating into our prayer life. What would it look like in your own life to apply these four lessons? What if in this upcoming week we tried to pray for 15 minutes at a time, maybe twice a day, and practiced using these four aspects in our prayers? Through prayer, our community can be one that embodies the love and mission of God in a powerful and natural way, participating alongside God's sovereignty. May we use this lesson as an opportunity to do so. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your existence that we have someone we can look to who is sovereign and wise and that also loves us unconditionally. I pray, Lord, that our church takes these lessons to heart in the various ways we may need to, whether that be praying often and consistently, reminding ourselves of your sovereignty and truth, loving our enemies, loving everyone, enemy or not and that we also ask to be molded to your will so that we can be the witnesses you need of this earth. I thank you, God, for this community, for these people's patience and graciousness, their love for you, and their love for others. In Jesus' name, amen.